good to have you here. I know there are a few that are out today. Uh, Sister Jennifer's at home. She's not feeling well, so I would ask that you would just uh, keep her in prayer. And um, try if I just kind of, you know, kind of take a, a moment here and uh, maybe give you a, a testimony. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, I, I, I don't... Well, she's not here, so it won't matter. <laughs> she she probably won't even know that I've done this. So. <laughs> um, I, I'm not talking about Sister Jennifer. I'm talking about my uh, daughter, Savannah. God gave her a blessing this week. You know how sometimes when you, you know, when you first get married, you know, you're trying to get everything worked out. You're trying to get everything changed over. And, and you're, you're dealing with, you know, there's always, it seems like there's extra expenses on things, right? Well, um. She had been hesitant on, um, on adding her husband onto uh, her auto insurance because she just assumed that, you know, man, my rates are going to go up. It's another person, all of that. And I, I, I texted her yesterday. I said, Savannah, you need to do that. You need to get that taken care of. Okay, Dad, I'll do it. I'll do it today. I promise. So she went ahead and did it. And um, later on that night, she called me. She was all excited. And I said, what's going on? Why, why are you excited? She said, well, I did what you said, and I added Logan to the car insurance. She said, and it, it, it dropped my insurance payments by $30 a month. <laughs> you know, now, isn't that cool God stuff? Because, I mean, you know, how is it you add somebody and you get more coverage and you pay less money? Nobody would think that that would happen. But, hey. Listen, God's got ways that we don't understand. Amen. 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 And, and, you know, I, I, I've been talking to the church about us just turning things over to God and leaving it alone. And, and, and just taking our hands off of it. Well, I put that into practice this week. Um, we had a calf that was born on the, uh, at, at our place this week. A, a new calf. And um, today, I guess it's I don't know, three days old. And I have not seen it, you know, normally they're they're up by three days old, they're up and running around and bouncing around and all of that. And this calf calf has just been laying down. And I, I went out there and I was like, mm, I don't know if this one's gonna make it. I had, uh, you know, it's the this this cow, it's her first calf. Sometimes they just, they have troubles with them. And um, I wasn't sure and I said, you know what, God? I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna interfere with this because I've I've gone out before and tried to you know tried to get them away from mom and bottle feed them and do all of that and and most of the time it doesn't work. And um, I said, you know what, God, you made this calf. This is your farm. This is I'm your child. You want this calf to live? Then you got to step in. So God, here you go. And I stepped back. And I didn't do anything about it. I, I'd look out there and see. And, you know, I never could see it nursing or anything. But it was amazing because the, the calf was always, you know, uh, at different points in the day, I'd see it standing up. And I'm like, oh, man, that, that calf can't have strength if it's not nursing. I left this morning coming to, coming to church. And as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I look over. The calf's standing up right next to mom over there nursing. And it's standing, and it's healthy, and everything's going good. And I said, see, you know, if you just turn it over to God and let him do it, he can do what we can. I, I, I know maybe that's just, you know, this, 
simplistic mind of, uh, of your pastor. But listen, trust me, it works in other things also. We'll turn it over to God and let God deal with it. He's got ways that are beyond ours. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to get into the Word today. Um, Matthew chapter 7 uh, and verse 24 is where I'm going to begin reading today. And um, I'm going to read through verse 27. Matthew 7 and 24. This is a familiar passage. But the um, Lord's just been dealing with me about preaching this, and so now's the time. Verse 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Today I want to, uh, with the help of God, I want to talk to us and, and bring to you a message uh, called, uh, I've titled it Building on the Rock. Why don't you put your Bibles down? Let's just pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we love you. We thank you today, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing in our life, God. We thank you, God, for your love. I pray today, God, that you would anoint this word. Lord, let us be used of you. Let us hear from you. God, give us wisdom and understanding of your word, God, that we can rightly divide it and that we can apply it to our lives, God. Help us in all that we're doing. Thank you for it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you greet someone around you as you're seated today? talking about the temperature <laughs> but it does it just feels good it's, it's good to see you all you know I, I, there's something about coming together and, and being in you know in, in church with God's people and, and people that you you know that you love that you care about people that you know are like-minded there's something that's good about that it lifts us up you know the Bible talks about you know, forsaking not the assembling together of yourselves. And, you know, we always put that on a, on a spiritual level, which it is. There's good reason spiritually for us to do that. But can I tell you, on an, just on a, a, a purely emotional level, it's good for us. I can be having a bad day, and I can walk through the doors of the church, and I can see some of your smiling faces. <laughs> And, and, you know, I can walk in and I can know that, you know what, it doesn't matter how the day's been, I've got people here that love me. I've got, I've got friends. I've got, I've got brothers and sisters in Christ. And that lifts us up. And, and we need that in our life. Amen. Well, you know, the, the building process is very familiar to me. Um, but to some other people, maybe it's not. And so let me just take a minute and talk to you about um, 
the importance of a foundation and what a foundation is because every building needs a foundation. How many of y'all know what a foundation is when it comes to a building? Oh, good. Y'all are going to make this easy on me. You know, most of the time on, on our homes today, we don't have what would typically be considered a, a, uh, a classical foundation where you used to pour the foundation and then you would lay some blocks up and build up a stem wall and then you would backfill that and then you'd pour a slab. Today we do what's called a monolithic slab, which is where you have the, the foundation and the slab that are poured together at the same time. It's all one integral part. And so all of it's tied together. But a foundation, there, there are three things that I've kind of uh, identified that are significant about a foundation. Number one, a foundation defines the perimeter of the building. Because every exterior wall is going to have a foundation under it. If there is not a foundation under an exterior wall, there are going to be problems with that building. It is not going to last. Now, there are some interior walls that they don't need a foundation. These walls that are going down the hall and separating these rooms right here, they don't have a foundation under them, and that's perfectly acceptable. And you know why? Because they don't have forces that are put on them. They don't have loads that are applied to them. And so they don't need that extra strength. But anything that is going to have any sort of a load or, or, or some sort of a, a, a stress put upon it needs a foundation. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never yet met someone that their life has not put a little stress on them. <laughs> if you're here today and you've never experienced any stress, I want to meet you afterwards. I, I want to talk to you and find out how in the world do you do it. But, because this life is going to give us some stress. And so every exterior wall of a building is going to have a foundation. The perimeter of it is going to have it because it's going to be uh, uh, exposed to stresses. Now, there's more than one type of stress that, that these walls will impose on foundations. You've got uplift, where the, you know, like on this building right here, if you have wind that's coming from the, uh, I guess that would be the east side over there, if you've got a, a wind that's blowing from the east and blowing over here, it'll get under this porch that's over here, and it builds up pressure, and it lifts up. That's why when we're doing, you know, in hurricanes and all of that, we worry about people's roofs blowing off because of uplift. And so you've got that pressure. But not only is there that pressure, you've got an external wind that's pushing against this wall here, and it needs to be able to resist that. And so it's all tied into that foundation. See, a foundation does two things. It provides strength to whatever is sitting on it, but it also provides uplift resistance to whatever is tied to it. So no matter what force, no matter what, uh, what pressure is exerted on that, on that wall, on that building, 
if it is properly connected to that foundation, it will not move. It's important that the foundation is sized properly and you have to go through and all, all of your architects and engineers, they do all of this design so that they take into account the, what kind of pressure is going to be put on these exterior walls so that they can make sure that they size that foundation correctly. They put, make sure that there's steel that's running through that foundation, that it's big enough, that it's heavy enough, that the, the material that it's made out of is, is a strong enough compressive force that it's not going to crumble, that it's, it's laid out in a certain way so that the predominant direction of the wind can't topple that wall over, but when it puts force against it, there's enough overhang of that foundation that it won't be able to tip it over. And so the, the, the importance of a foundation is key to any successful building. Now, just as that is in the natural and, and those things, our lives are exposed to stresses. And there are different stresses that we're exposed to. And it is key, it is imperative that we have a foundation in our life, that we are built on something that will withstand the pressures of life. Because if it's just you and I on our own, we're gonna be tossed about like the, like, like the, the waves of the sea or, or, or like a, a, how many of y'all have ever seen tumbleweeds? You ever been out in Arizona or out in the deserts and, and seen those? I can remember as a kid, I thought that was so cool. We were driving out to, uh, to California, and we went through Arizona. We saw those tumbleweeds that were blowing across there. And I remember we stopped at a rest area, and man, as soon as I got out, I took off, and I ran out there, and I picked up one of those tumbleweeds, and I, I wanted to take it home with me. My, my parents kind of looked at me like, you've lost your mind. Why do you want a tumbleweed? That's a dead bush that's just blowing around out there. And, you know, that's what happens if we aren't tied to something. We become like that tumbleweed. We, we, we dry up. We wither. We, we, we end up dying, and we're, we're just tossed by wherever the winds blow, whatever winds of doctrine, whatever winds blow in our life. They can push us to areas that we don't want to go, but we need a foundation that we can be tied to. Mm. Hallelujah. Now, Scripture tells us, that Jesus is our rock. And that is what we are to build our lives on. Something that is unmovable and unshakable. See, anything else can and will be shaken, and whatever's built on it is going to fall. It's going to fail. It's going to collapse. It's not going to last. You have to build on a foundation that is solid. Amen. You know, the Bible talks here about uh, about building upon the rock. It was, it was built on a rock that was, that was solid, that was in place, and that was not movable. Here in Florida, we don't have very many rocks. And the rock that we have is limestone, and it'll, it, it washes away, it crumbles. We can't build on that. We have to bring in material to, to build a foundation. Those of you that lived up north, Y'all have rocks in some of those areas. 
There, there were stone foundations. There were big, you know, granite uh, boulders that they would bring out, and they would chisel and shape and make foundations out of. We don't have those here in Florida. You try to build on this Florida sand, and you're going to have problems. With all the rain and the winds and all that we get, you're going to have settling and cracking, and those walls are going to come apart, and that building is ultimately going to collapse. We can't build on something made of wood. If, you, if you're building some sort of a, a structure that is going to be there for any length of time, I don't care if it's pressure treated or not. Don't use wood for your foundation. It'll rot. Bugs will get it. It'll deteriorate. You need something that will not change. And in our life, there's only one thing that I know of throughout all of, of the existence that we're in that is unchangeable, and that is God. God is the only thing that is unchangeable. Now, in order to become a disciple of God, or what we refer to as becoming a Christian, we need a foundation, something to build on. As a Christian, we are daily building our life. Okay? That's why John 3.16 is such a powerful verse. How many of you here can quote John 3.16? Oh good, just about everybody here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's talking about building on a foundation. Mm. See, the foundation of being a Christian I'm going to shock some people here now, okay? Just hold on to your seats. Just stick with me. It's not Acts 2.38. That's correct. It's John 3.16. If we are going to be a Christian, it must start with the belief in Jesus. We must start with the belief that Jesus is God. If we try to build on anything other than that foundation that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, we're building on a foundation that's flawed. It's going to crumble and it's going to fall apart. He's, he's not just a, a, a part of the Godhead. He is God. That's what scripture tells us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You can go throughout scripture. You can identify where, where the Bible talks about uh, how the, the earth was created by God. And in another part of the Bible, it says that Jesus created the earth. How can you say that? Because these are the same. It was God that robed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us. Oh, hallelujah. I thank God for that foundation. Amen. See, our faith in God is essential. And if we don't start with that belief, then there is nothing for us to build on. There is no foundation. And if we don't believe he is God, then we can't believe any other part of his word. 
So many people, they want to they start studying the Bible before they understand the foundation. They want to start trying to dig in and, you know, they want to go and they want to argue about, uh, you know, revelation and what is the, you know, what are all the prophecies mean and what do these things mean and, you know, what were the Old Testament prophets talking about? What was Babylon? Is, is America Babylon? And they want to dig into all of this stuff. But they don't have a foundation. They don't have anything that they're building on. And, and, and they're, trying to, they're trying to put the framing up for the building before they got a foundation. Amen. <laughs> See, and if we, if we start without having the understanding that Jesus is God, and we have nothing to base the rest of salvation upon. See, the Bible says that God is truth. He is, he is the word and, and he is true and there is no changing in him. And so if we try to, if we try to encompass some other name, how, how many of you have heard people say, oh, well, you know, I, I worship God and, and, you know, no matter what name you call him by, it's still God that we're all worshiping. You know, I may call him, you know, Muhammad, and you may call him Jesus, but we're still worshiping God. No, 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 no. It's it's, it's completely different. Right. right. Just because Carlos and I and, and, and Brother Cruz and, and these other men here, we're all men. We are not the same, and we have different names. And if you want me, you got to call my name. If you want Carlos, you got to call his name. If you want Brother Tariq, you got to call his name. If we want Jesus Christ to be in our life, if we want the, the power that is in the name of Jesus, as the scripture talks about, we better know who God is and what his name is. He is the whole truth. He is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He is truth. 1 Corinthians 3 uh, tells us, uh, beginning in verse 10, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For any other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, right. which is Jesus Christ. Paul was very explicit in his letter that, listen, if you're going to build up something in your life, if you're going to build salvation in your life, you better base it on Jesus Christ. Right. You can't base it on any others. Right. See, in the, in, the, in the New Testament writings of the, that Paul was writing to all these, all these letters to the churches, there were a lot of different gods out there. You had all kind of different gods that people worshipped and they sacrificed to and they, they did all kind of immoral and ungodly acts and, and worshipped to these gods. They even had one, I, I love that one, the one that they called the, the unknown god. Yeah, right. Paul said, let me tell you about the one that you don't know who they are. Yeah. Let me talk to you about his name. Let me introduce you to who he is. Mm. See, once we establish a belief in God, then we can start the building process. Right. We can go vertical with our building, if you will. 
And that's where Acts 2.38 comes in. Once we have that, that belief, then we can start the salvation process and we can start building up what, is, what, what God has settled for us, what God intends for us. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to talk about these different aspects here for just a minute. I know that a lot of you have already experienced this. Most of you have already experienced this. But I think that it is important that we talk about it because sometimes we just need to have that, that refreshed in our mind. But also I believe that it's going to be key that we, are, that we have a, a, a good working knowledge of this because we're, we're entering into a time that we're going to have to be able to explain this and we're going to be able, need to be able to tell others about this salvation message. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, many times we define repentance as saying, I'm sorry, or turning from sin and towards God. But let me give you a, a clearer picture of what true repentance is, okay? The Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament for repent is shub, S-H-U. S-H-U-B, shub. And it's a, a, the, the root word means to turn back. Transitively or intransitively, literally or figuratively, to retreat or to turn away and go in a different direction. But literally what this means, it means to destroy the house. When we repent of something, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I want this completely destroyed. Now, the, let me give you the image of what that means. See, that was, when this was written, the, the mindset of the people, the time that they lived in. Remember, we're talking, we talked the other night about having a context for the scripture text. If we look at the context of what was going on in the times where this was written in the Old Testament, what, you know, what they were associating these words with, this was associated with when an army came in and conquered a city. As they were dragging the people from that city away to take them captive, they would set fire to the city and they would destroy everything that was there. So that there was nothing left to return to. They would, they would knock down the walls. They would knock over all the stones. Anything that could burn, they would burn. They wanted that city to be utterly destroyed and to be uninhabitable. They could not return to that city. It would never be the same. Sometimes the conquering armies would even go so far as to salt the fields so that the land was destroyed and you could no longer grow any crops there. So when we repent of something, it's more than just saying, God, I'm sorry. You know, I, I know that doesn't please you. I'm, I'm sorry I did that. No, no, no. It's more than that. It's, it's saying, listen, that was wrong. I did that. I need your forgiveness, and I don't want to do that again. I want that destroyed in my life. 
I don't ever want to be able to return back to that. See, when we repent, we need to destroy the sins of the past and get them out of, the, out of our lives. How many of you have a habit of just keeping trash in your house forever? You just, you don't ever throw anything away. If something breaks, you know, you just set it in the corner and go, well, that's all right, there's still value to it. Oh, thank God. You're all laughing, none of you do that. You know, can you imagine, if, you know, every time you cracked open an egg and you, you know, you, 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 open that shell up and you poured the, the inside out of that egg and, and you have those shells if you just said, oh, well, you know, there's, there's probably something I can use those for here. Let me just set these down over here. We'll, we'll just leave them there. We'll, you know, if I ever need them, I'll know where they're at. <laughs> no, we're, you know, that, 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 those leftovers that were in the refrigerator, they've been there for a week now, and, you know, it's, it's time to get rid of those. But, you know, I don't want to throw them away. Um, here, I'll just take that piece of Tupperware that they're in, and we'll just set them down over here, and, you know, they'll be all right. We don't do that. But so many times as Christians, we'll have a, a, some sin that, that we take to God, and we repent of that sin, but we don't throw it away. We, we like to hang on to those. You know, we've even come up to the point to where we, we have coined the phrase pet sins. How many of you have ever heard that? People talking about, you know, oh, well, you know, there's a, you know, that's just a pet sin. You know, I mean, yeah, I know that's not right. I know that's not pleasing to God, but, you know, I'm kind of fond of that one. You know, I, I, I really enjoy doing that. Listen, if you're going to repent of that, you better get rid of those pet sins. I, I can tell you when when I came back to the Lord when I was when I was 21 years old, there were some things in my life that I had to absolutely get rid of. I, I had to I had to throw them away. I, I'm not just talking about you know some uh, you know. Uh, emotional disconnect. No, there were physical things in my life that I had to go and take them from where they were and say, you know what? If I keep this around, it's going to be temptation to me and I don't want that. So I'm going to go find the nearest trash receptacle and I'm going to go put this in there and I'm getting it out of my house. Mm. I, I, I had some, some bottles that I needed to pour the contents out of. You know, we, we hear about people that, you know, come to the altar and they, they reach in and they, they, they pull this little uh, box of sticks out of their pocket and they'll lay them on the altar and they walk away and leave them there. Anybody ever heard about that? Listen, God, I want this destroyed. I, I don't want it around me. I had, I had people in my life that, that were bad for me. When I got with them, we didn't go do things that were godly and uplifting and holy. We went and did things that fed the flesh. 
things that, that Mark wanted or, or those friends wanted. And so, you know, when I got back in the church, I knew that if I went back over to, to their house or if I called them up and said, hey, let's go out, guess what? This flesh was not strong enough to resist that temptation. And so I said, well, I guess I won't be calling that person anymore. Listen, if you really want some things out of your life, you'll take some drastic measures and you'll say, you know what? God, I need this destroyed. I don't ever want to be able to return to this again and, 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 and it be the same. I can tell you I had invested money in music how many of you like music? Man, I love music. And for the longest time in my life, man, I know you probably would never guess this, but I loved country music. <laughs> man, I, I, you know, I listen to Hank Williams, Willie Nelson, you know, I mean, I, I had all the Garth Brooks CDs. I had, you know, I mean, man, I was into all this stuff. I love my country music. I could sing along with every one of them. And I can remember after I got back into the church, driving down the road, I still got music playing. And I'm singing along. And all of a, all of a sudden, let me just be carnal for a minute. Please forgive me. Song like Whiskey Bent and Hellbound would come on. And I start singing along with it. And all of a sudden, something comes up in my mind and says, Wait a minute, you don't turn to whiskey anymore. And you're not bound for hell. God's put you on a different track. He's changed your direction. What are you doing? Singing and then bringing glory to what the enemy used to have in you. Amen. Amen. And, 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 you know, I began to think about it. And I'm like, well, you know. Songs like, you know, I've got friends in low places <laughs> where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues. Listen, people. If I'm a child of God, I better not have friends in low places and I better not have whiskey and beer that's trying to drown out my sorrow. I need to get that nonsense out of my life and say, I've got friends that live in high places. I've got a God that is above everything. And if I'm having some sorrows in my life, I've got one that I can turn to that can turn it all around and turn that sorrow into joy. He can take my tears and turn them into rejoicing and into laughter. And I can remember, I can remember going into, into my car and into my home and gathering up all of these things. And saying, you know what? God, I don't ever want to be able to return to this again. So here we go. And I walked them all outside to the trash. And I threw them away. 
And, and, you know, the whole time the enemy's going, how stupid is that? You can have sold those. Yeah, what? And send that to somebody else and let them fall into that trash? Let me get rid of these things and let them stop doing any damage. How about that? Listen, when we repent, it needs to be more than just saying, I'm sorry. How many of you have ever had somebody walk up to you and, and they've just done something, you know, really egregious in your life, hurt you some way, and they walk up with this little smile on their face and say, oh, I'm sorry. Really? Does, does that just all of a sudden make everything right in your life? Listen, you, you, you want to show God that you're sorry. Why don't you show him? Why don't you do something to where you make a change and say, I don't ever want to be able to go back there and live in that place again. God, I, I want that destroyed. I, I can remember, you know, I mean, to this day, if, if I'm, you know, riding in a car, if I'm in a, if I'm in a you know, some place of business or something, and some of those songs come on, you know what, I haven't forgotten the words. But as soon as they come on and they start talking about, you know, oh, she done me wrong and, you know, divorce and, and, and drinking and going to the bar and all that. And I'm thinking, as soon as I hear it, I think, oh, thank God that you've delivered me from that. Thank God that I can't, I can't go back around that and feel comfortable anymore. I can't walk into a place where, where people are doing drugs and feel comfortable anymore. I can't walk into a bar and feel comfortable anymore. Oh, God destroyed that, and it's never the same. Whew. Listen, along with repentance needs to come true change. So many times people go, oh, well, you know, I, I've, I've repented of that. And, and then, you know, it, it turns into a situation where they, they get a mindset of just saying, well, all I have to do is say I'm sorry and God will forgive me. And then I can go right back out and do it again. And, and you know, if I do it again, I can go back and say I'm sorry. Well, you know what? Yes, God is faithful to forgive us. But Paul talked about, he said, should you continue and sin so that God, that God's grace can abound? And he said, no, no, don't do that. God doesn't want you to abound in sin. He wants you to abound in Him. We've got to take time to be able to get things out of our life and not keep dead and broken things laying around collecting dust in our lives. We, we need to make sure that what God delivers us from, that, that we get it out. People didn't recognize me for several years after I got back into church. Not that physically my appearance changed, but because I didn't go where I used to go. I didn't do what I used to do. I didn't say what I used to say. I, I didn't think the way that I thought before. I didn't act the way I thought before. And, and so people would see me and they would go, hey, where you been? I've been living a good life. Where have you been? 
And, and listen, I, I know that, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you, you need to minister to those people. Yes, you do. But you know what? You need to make sure you're built on a foundation and that you're secure before you go back and you start trying to minister to those. Listen, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna expose this wall right here to pressure, I want to make sure that it's built up and complete and tied in where it needs to be before I start letting the wind beat on it. If all I've done is just laid up the block on that wall and I haven't gone in and poured the concrete into the cells and tied all the steel in and, and got it supported, what's going to happen when the wind blows? It's going to crumble. It's the same thing when you're, you know, when you're uh, new in the Lord, when you've just, you've just entered into, in, in, into the, the, the presence of God, you've just experienced salvation, God's just set you free. You know what? You need to have some time to build some things up in your life. You need to get strong in the Lord and the power of His mind. You need to let the Holy Ghost grow within you. You know, you don't expect... A, a seedling that's just popped up out of the ground to bear fruit. So why do we expect the new convert to Christ to go out and start bearing fruit immediately? Why don't we let some time develop there to grow and to strengthen and then let them bear fruit? Oh, there, there, there'll come a time and an opportunity they can go back maybe and they can witness to those people or, or they can talk to some other people uh, about where God brought them from. But until they get rooted and grounded into the foundation, whew, they need help. Mm. Psalm 119 and 1 talks about, it says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Undefiled really means complete or in the process of becoming perfect. If we're undefiled, we're, in, we're, we're still a work in process. That's what God wants from his people. He wants us to be undefiled with the things of the world. Does that mean that we have to live perfect lives? No. No, he, he knows that that's not going to happen because we're not complete. There's still a process that he's working in us. And he'll work that process until the day he calls us home. Amen. Whether it's through death or whether it's through the rapture. He's going to be working on us as long as we have breath. Trying to bring us into more perfection. And so God says, I don't want you to be defiled with the world. And the things of the world. That's why the, the scripture talks about us not being citizens of this world. We're strangers here. We're aliens living here. We are not citizens of this world, but we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Once we have, uh, we have followed through the plan of salvation and we have become one of his. We're citizens of, of the heavenly kingdom. To live here. We don't instantly get translated all that we would. It would be so much better. But God says, no, you have a purpose here. You just, you let me work on you. You, you live for me. You get rid of the trash in your life and don't be defiled with the things of this world. 
I used to think it was it was kind of silly as a kid when you know when these evangelists would come by and man they they start preaching to the church about repentance and I'm going I don't see anybody here that doesn't have the Holy Ghost. Why is this evangelist preaching about repentance to the church? Because we all need to repent. Listen, that's not a one-time event in our life. If it is, man, you're a pretty godly person. I don't know who raised you, but, you know, it sure wasn't a pack of wolves. You were raised by somebody pretty impressive if you don't have any sin. If you don't, if you don't, you know, succumb to some temptation every now and then. If, if you always keep your attitude right. If you always say the right thing. If you always think the right thought. If you always let your eyes be fastened right where they should be. Hmm. Job 1 and 1 says that there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now listen, Job was not perfect in the way that you and I think of perfect. He was undefiled. You read through the book of Job and you find at the end there where he's in there and he starts complaining to God. And he starts saying, God, I don't understand this. And he, he just really kind of lays it out before God. And God kind of comes back at Job and starts doing a little correcting with him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Can, can you go and put a hook in Leviathan's jaw and bring him under control? Can you tame the winds and the sea? Can you speak to the waves and say you can come to this point no more? He, he started talking to Job and, and really kind of putting him and, and setting everything in proper perspective. So Job was not perfect. But what Job was, was he was undefiled by this world. He tried to live a consistent and a true life. He tried to live what he knew to be right. And when there were times where his, 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 his knowledge failed him, he knew that, wait a minute, I better back up and say, God, you're right. You have the answer so much more than I do. I, I'm sorry, God. And that's what God wants in us. He wants us to be undefiled. Part of being undefiled is that we are not duplicitous. I love that word. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. To be duplicitous. It makes you sound like you know what you're talking about. But all it means is, is like the scripture says, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't live two lives. You better not try to live a life here in church, and then when you go out with your friends, you live another life. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You're going to serve one. He wants us to be true. And you know what else God doesn't want? He doesn't want us to be faults in who we are. Do you realize God created you to be who you are? Listen, I happen to love working with cows and chickens and pigs and all of those things. 
And there are some of you that probably look at that and go, I wouldn't want to be around them. They stink, they're dirty, they're unruly. I wouldn't want any part of it. Well, that's why God made you you and made me me. And, and for me to try to live your life and you to try to live my life would not be being true to who we are. Absolutely. Listen, God made you who you are for a purpose. There's a plan for your life. And God says, I made you just who I want you to be. Live that life. Man, as, as Christians so many times, you know, we'll, we'll have someone that'll come in, they'll be a babe in Christ, and they come in, and, and all of a sudden, they, they identify somebody in the church. It may be the pastor, it may be an elder, somebody in the church, and they go, oh, I want to be just like them. And, and they'll start following them around in prayer meeting. If that person's up here walking in the front, praying, guess what? That person's right behind them, going, looking at them and going, okay, I want to be like that. What's he saying? Okay, yeah, let me say that. It may not make any sense to them. Why don't you pray the way God gave you? You speak your words to God. You speak the words that, that would come from your mouth. The thoughts that you have. Listen, you have cares in your life that I don't have. The Bible tells us that we should cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. And so if you're trying to cast my cares on God... What about your cares? That's right. I mean, God cares for you. Cast your own cares on it. Hey, listen, I, you know, I'm all for praying with people and helping people pray about things. But I also believe that we need to be true and honest to who we are. Psalm 119, we talked about undefiled and, and, and having integrity in that. Um, and, and now we're talking about um, uh, duplicity. God doesn't want us to have duplicity or, or hypocrisy. He wants us to be who we are, who he created us to be. All right. So that's the first part. And I promise I'm not going to take as much time on these. For some reason, I, I, I felt that the focus of this today needed to be on the repentance part and, and truly understanding what it means to repent. But I do just want to quickly touch on the other two parts of Acts 2.38. We need to be baptized. And, and there, there are several different beliefs on what baptism is. Let me just tell you what the scripture identifies baptism to be. It means to be buried or to be covered. Immersed in water. We're buried with Christ unto salvation. I, I, I don't know of anything that you can bury by throwing a little dirt at it. you got to dig a hole and put it in there. you got to completely cover that up because if not, that dead man will stink. That dead thing will stink. When we're buried in Christ, we need to go under. We need to be immersed in the water. And we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Scripture says neither is there salvation in any other. It's in the name of Jesus that there is salvation power. The way that you're baptized matters. And then Scripture tells us once we have done those two things that we will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
See, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in our life so that the Holy Ghost can teach us. It equips us. It enables us to, to, to be built up into what God designs for us to be. It's, it, it is what brings in the, the rest of that work in us to take us and make us what God wants us to be. And so we've got to complete the process. Just repenting and being baptized, okay, you've, you, you've repented, you were forgiven of that, you were buried, and those sins were washed away. Now what are you going to do? You have a foundation. It's Jesus Christ, but what are you going to build with? That's what the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is what begins to build us and to shape us and to make us through the power of God. God is the one that comes and dwells within us, teaching and guiding and, and molding and, and, and shaping us and making us into what we are supposed to be for him so that we can accomplish his plan. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Stand with me today. I, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I, I, I just feel I would be remiss today if I didn't open up the altar or open up a time right now where we could just go to the Lord. Maybe there's some things that God's been dealing with you about that you need to repent of. Some things that, that you just need to say, God, I know that that's not pleasing to you. And God, show me how that thing can be absolutely destroyed so that I don't, I don't ever return back to that again. Because God has a way. I can promise you. If we'll be obedient to what he says, he's got a way that that will become a place that you never want to visit again. You know, you know, I've heard about people talking about, you know, oh, once I, once I got saved, I, I never had a, a taste for alcohol again. I, I never had a craving for cigarettes again. I never, I never was drawn to drugs anymore. And, and I can honestly testify to you today. I, I never, I never smoked. I drank. I, I, you know, I dabbled in a little bit of drugs. And you know what? When I got back in the church. I've not been tempted by those things in the least. I have no desire towards those things. Those things don't do for me what God has done for me. Those things don't give me a feeling. They don't give me the peace that, that having God in my life is giving me. Oh, I, I can remember times where, you know, in, in my life I, I was I was lonely and I, I was searching for something and I, I you know I didn't have anybody that I could turn to and so I'd turn to you know to, to alcohol or I, I'd turn to some something else to try to you know ease that pain. But it never worked with me. It never filled that emptiness. Oh, but when I finally made that decision in my life and I said, God, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not running anymore. 
I'm not resisting it anymore. And I finally said, I am going to serve God. And I made up my mind. Now, one thing I can tell you about your pastor is he's pretty stubborn. I know that shocks y'all. But when I make up my mind about something, it's pretty hard to get me to do something else. If you don't believe me, ask Sister Jennifer. She will, she will regale you with accounts. In some, in some areas, that's a bad thing. But when it comes to serving God, my mind's made up. Amen. My mind is made up and nothing is going to change and that's what God wants to do for each and every one of you. He wants you to have this doggedness about you that, listen, my mind is made up. I'm like a bulldog. I got a grip on something, and I'm not letting it go. I don't care what you do. Satan, you can't shake me from where I'm at. There's nothing that this world has ever offered me that's ever come close to, to what I feel when I walk in to the presence of the Almighty. Well, there's not enough drugs. There's not enough pills. There's not enough alcohol. There's not enough sin. There's not enough pleasures of the flesh that can make me feel like I feel in the presence of God. just take a few minutes. We're still early today. Let's take a few minutes. Let's just talk to God. Let's just let, let, let's just let God talk to us today. Just raise your hands and, and begin to speak to Him today. Oh God.